Utah Jazz have an opportunity to sweep, and that's how impressive they've been. And there were a couple of dominant games in the middle of this thing. In order to break it down, we're bringing on David Locke, his weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, I can't believe how dominant the Utah Jazz have been in this series. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, the two games in the middle, they certainly were. I, I would say I think that, you know, they probably should have won game one, but honestly, Denver should have won game four. So yeah, um, the fact that those split the way, the opposite way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, Utah broke uh, in game three particularly and a little bit in game two. So, uh, But I don't think they broke them anymore. I think Mike Malone made some nice adjustments. I think this is – unless Denver is um, – you know, seeing the world outside of the bubble is a very appealing place to be, which is, you know, this is this is the first time ever, right? Like a team's been down 3-1 and playing a game in the bubble. So we just don't know what to expect in that regard. Um, you have, you've seen 3-0 and none of the teams who were down 3-0 were able to come back. But that's also maybe because those series weren't very close. This one's a little bit closer. If you're Denver and you can grab one today, maybe you feel a little hope that, you can go grab another. It's, it's definitely harder than if they had a home court advantage and they were trying to win one at home, knowing all they had to do was come back and win a, a game in, in Utah. They have to win three in the same setting. Um, but they made inroads. They, they, they caused the Jazz some problems in game four and probably should have probably won that game. That's what was really incredible about the first half of that game, David, was how locked in the Nuggets were. And you come out of that first half and the Jazz are down by one. But it felt like Murray and Jokic were as locked in as they could possibly be, and the Jazz just kept pace. Do you obviously you've got to give credit to Donovan Mitchell, but the other guy you look at and you say, "Man, it's just phenomenal effort." Is Mike Conley and what he's doing with kind of the continuity and flow of this team? It's interesting. I thought you were going to say Jordan Clarkson because that's probably where I would have gone as the next guy. But you're right, Mike Conley. You know. The, the series swung a bit when the Jazz won a game without Mike Conley and then got Mike Conley back. The Jazz shooting percentage is up, I think, six or seven percentage points in the two games with Mike Conley um, than it was with, in the two games without him. He, it, it's, it's actually similar to what Denver did by bringing Monte Morris into the starting lineup. It, it allows you to just move your guys around and play with multiple ball handlers and come from different directions. And, you know, what's so difficult about the Jazz offense is you're not sure who's going to handle and where they're coming from. Uh, what happened to Denver in game four is I think you knew exactly who was going to handle and where they were coming from. The Jazz dug in, and then Mike Malone made some nice adjustments. Excuse me, in game three. In game four, he made some nice adjustments where you didn't know anymore, right? So Monty Morris might bring it up. Jamal Murray might bring it up. Jamal Murray might be coming off a pin down. Monty, you know, and it might be going to Jokic in the post. They suddenly added options, and that changed, I think that changed the series from their standpoint the same way that Mike Conley's return gave us multiple options of, of how we were going to attack. You talked about Mike Malone and his juggling of that starting lineup, moving Monty Morris and Jeremy Grant into the lineup. Do you think he stays with that starting five? Certainly. I mean, their adjustments worked. They did those. That was a much better. Uh, their adjustments both offensively with that lineup, and then defensively with the way they guarded did what they were supposed to do. The Jazz were good enough that the Jazz answered it. Right. So there's there's a big difference there. Right. So you can you can decide you're going to, well, we're going to make them do this, or we're going to take this away. And then the jazz were good enough. Donovan was good enough to take advantage of it. It doesn't mean that the, the adjustment was wrong. It just means that the jazz were good enough 
to take advantage of that. So the Jazz were averaging 14 corner threes a game, and they only got four in game four. The Jazz were throwing about 320 passes a game, and they only threw 230 in game four. So what Denver had done was took away the ball movement of the Jazz. They took away the early three-point shooting of the Jazz. They took away the, the, the penetration, over-shifting, and hitting the corner threes. So they took away an awful lot of what Utah was doing in the first three games. Utah, just Donovan particularly, was good enough. Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, once they held to the shooters and took away the ball movement, the Jazz were good enough to beat them one-on-one. At some point, if you're a head coach, you, know, you don't have a lot of options there. Um, and so I just think the Jazz just did a really masterful job of, of, of getting that uh, you know, narrowed, being able to answer what Denver did. But if I'm Denver, th- those are the odds I'm willing to play. I, I'm not letting the number one shooting team in the league be a catch-and-shoot three-point shooting team against me like I did in games two or three. We see what happens. You know, you were talking about how Denver potentially should have won game four, and, and I agree with you because the way they were playing and who was hitting and the numbers they had, you know, you look at Murray with 50 points and you look at Nikola Jokic with 30 points, 32 points. What else can they do? I, I, I guess what I'm asking, David, in game five, what can Denver do? What will they need to do if they are able to get a win? And extend so Denver's, Denver's not a good defensive basketball team, right? So they, they, you know, if they get Gary Harris back, which sounds like they may, they'll be a little bit better defensive team. Um, they're missing Will Barton. Um, but so they'll be, a, you know, as, as time, they may be a little better with Gary Harris if, if he plays. I don't know whose minutes necessarily takes because Monty Morris has been good for them. Does he, does he take all of Torrey Craig's minutes? Maybe. Um, so I think they have to outscore the Jazz. Um, the Jazz have the best shooting game they've had all season long uh, in game three. That's the most above kind of the expected average that they would have got with their shot quality um, in game number three. And so, or excuse me, game number four. And so I think you have to just assume you're going to outscore the Jazz. They're not going to outdefend us. Um, they, they were 22nd in the league in defense out of 22 teams in the bubble. They've been worse in this playoff series. So, if they're, you know, they have to assume we're going to start missing some shots. Uh, frankly, their shooting is well beyond what their natural level is too. I think there's a, if you believe in numbers, um, we actually will have a, a game where I think we could get a little bit of a brick fest today. I think, mm-hmm. you know, at some point, no way both these teams are shooting well over 40% from three. I, I think we could have, we could have some 25% three point shooting games and then Denver's ability to offensive rebound will be really important. Utah Jazz with an opportunity to close it out against Denver tonight. And then you've got the later game, Dallas and the Clippers playing in a game five and a 2-2 split. I think they're going to continue to fight out this series. And David, when you when you look at the two potential opponents in round two, Clippers and, and the Mavericks, who did the Jazz match up better against? Well, they'd probably match up better with the Clippers because the Clippers have a tendency to play big men that hang around the rim. And so Zubak and Montrez Harrell are on the floor for most of the time, or if Morris is their center, it's not as problematic as what Chris Stapps Przingis, or frankly, if Chris Stapps is out, there not playing any center at all. They're playing Maxi Kleba. Um, so purely if your question is matchup, they match up better against the Clippers in a matchup sense, but the Clippers are better um, than Dallas and the Jazz you know, in this series have been able to hunt matchups and find guys that can't defend. If Patrick Beverly is healthy, I don't know if he will be at the calf strain. Those take a while. 
yeah. you know, you're not hunting Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Our greatest strength in this series is that we have three guys that are pick and roll ball handlers who can score and can run the pick and roll. And Ingles, Conley, and, and Donovan, we're only one of, there's only two teams in the NBA that have three guys that run over a thousand pick and rolls. It's us in Oklahoma City. And so we can go find whoever we want. Well, in this series, it's Michael Porter Jr., Monte Morris, or Jamal Murray. Those guys haven't gotten many of any stops at all. And so in the Clippers series, though, if that's Patrick Beverly, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard, well, it doesn't do any good to hunt any of them. Whereas in Dallas, you can hunt all of them because none of them are good defenders. So we would probably rather play Dallas, but the games will be 135 to 132 and be quite a matchup than playing the Clippers because I think we'd have a hard time scoring. But we match up to play our style better against the Clippers because it's better for Rudy. It was announced earlier today that uh, Porzingis will not play in Game 5 tonight against the Clippers. Obviously, we know that Luka Doncic played Game 4 on a sprained ankle and was only off the ankle for about 40 hours before he jumped back on it and, and had that amazing performance. Game 5 against the Clippers, does does Paul George kind of shift it into gear? Is, is, is Dallas a bad matchup for Paul? Is this more Paul than it is Dallas? And do the Clippers get a win in Game 5? Um, I think the playoffs are a bad matchup for Paul George. Um, and I think the Clippers probably win by 20. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Play, playoff P, man. I, I don't know. He's he's solid. But I, I will tell you, I, I agree with that. You know, don't give yourself your nickname and don't trash talk Dean Willard if you're going to shoot below 40% in, like, every playoff game you play. Boy. I'm just a thought. That, you know, that's – Really, that's a starting point, David. Yeah, that's just a, that's like a good. Like I'm beating up on Paul George on Twitter only because he gave himself a nickname and because he like went after Dame. Like, just don't do yeah. it. Like, yeah. if you want to struggle, well, there's plenty of guys that are struggling in the playoffs. Like, that's real. Like, you can do that quietly, but when you want to pronounce how great you are all the time and then have an injury every single, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's suspicious he has an injury. He's ever in. Yep. I mean, it gives me yes. a little. Insight, shall we say? Uh, yesterday, Scotty and I were talking about this this series, and Scotty said that Luka Doncic is the best player on the court. You agree with that? No. You still think it's Kawhi? I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think Luke is really great. Luke is not so good on the other side of the ball yet, right? Yeah. I mean. Kawhi, like did you, I mean, Kawhi was like Kawhi, Kawhi, no, Kawhi's better player. Okay. Just in this series, Luca's just having an incredible performance. I mean, I, I mean, just, he had an unbelievable game. He had one of the greatest playoff games of all time. Of all time, yeah, he's I mean, incredible. Of all time, like. <laughs> no, I mean, like, what's like? I'm not doubting where Luca's going, and I mean, I was lucky enough as being close friends with Igor Kokoshkov, who was Luca's coach when Luca like we just like like we just like let this go. Like Luca was nineteen years old and led Slovenia to the European basketball championship. Nineteen. Yeah. At twenty he led, was it Real Madrid, I think? Yeah, I think so. To the 
to the Euro League championship and was the MVP at 20. Like, those Euro League teams would kill a college team. Kill a college team. So help me understand then how Igor is in Phoenix, but he can't convince them to take Luka Doncic. I don't know, but he'd still have a job if he did. Oh, boy, would he ever. Yeah, it was Real Madrid, 15-18. Wow. Right? I mean, so at 19 years old, he led. Like, okay, we don't think much about the European Basketball World Cup Championship because we're jingoistic about it. But, like, there's a lot of countries, and the top of the list is not Slovenia to win that thing. Mm-hmm. Not led by a 19-year-old whose second-best player was Goran Dragic. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Like, France has got pretty... a pretty good team out there. Like, there, there's some pretty good teams in, the, in Europe. Serbia, like the guy Nikola Jokic we're playing right now is, is, is on Serbia. Serbian team is loaded. And, he, and Luka wins it at 19. I mean, the story on Luca is really fascinating. So the backstory on Luca, and this is where he kind of almost matches like the Donovan and Rudy, and like there's so many of these guys that have this kind of stuff. So Luca's dad was a legendary player in Europe. He was great, and the stories are he got kind of caught in the fast lane, driving fast cars, living the fast life, and he kind of destroyed his career that way. And so Luca is fulfilling that dream of his father and finishing, you know, and fulfilling that aspect either, you know, for his dad or for himself. And I do think, you know, some of that story that has not been talked about, but like the two people who knew that story best were Vlade Divac and Igor Kokoshkov, and maybe that's why Luca went three. I don't know. But, you know, if you look at Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert's dad is the backup center for Rick Smith at Marist, who has to go spend his French military assignment and um and then ends up not really ever getting a chance to um to you know once you go on you went back to europe in that day and age you were done and and then you know now i think lives in guadalupe almost as a recluse a, a bit donovan mitchell's dad is you know spent an eight-year minor league baseball career and never got his chance to go to the show like it's an interesting they all have this kind of little similar storyline i you know i don't know what jamal murray's dad out of canada has but maybe we're going to find the same thing it's interesting stuff david how, how do you see uh, game five potentially playing out tonight um i think it's I, I i think the jazz shooting will cool off i mean clarkson and, and donovan have just hit a hit an, an alarming amount of shots um if we don't defend better than we've defended in this series denver wins this game if we can defend uh, and, and stymie them a little bit and play from ahead. Um, I think it, it 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 could be it, it could be a lot to ask Denver to, to to play from behind tonight. Well, David, we'll all be listening tonight on ninety seven five twelve at the zone. Have a great call, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Let's hope we can just sit back and hopefully we can win this one. Spend Thursday and Saturday sitting back watching the Clippers and the Lakers or Clippers and the Mavericks. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And then just getting great. ready for that design for the for the second round. Hopefully right. that can happen. It'd be nice to see these guys get some rest in the bubble. Thanks, David. See you. There you go, David Locke, play by play voice of the Utah Jazz, hanging out with us, getting ready for the game five in the first round of the NBA playoffs.